Well, good morning, church. We're going to start right now. Good morning, everybody that is watching online. Uh, we just believe God is going to do something amazing and powerful in your lives today. Father God, we are coming into the house of God, and we are choosing to worship you. We are choosing to honor you because you are a good God. Father God, right now we choose to lay down all those things that get in the way, all those things that cause us to worry, and we say you are the reason we are here, and we choose to honor you. We choose to follow you right now. We choose to come in line with your heart and your will for this moment. God, we choose to worship you because you are a good God. So let's honor him this morning and worship him. Amen. What I believe is happening right now, picture of a fiber optic cable. It's got that rubber black outside, and there's a bunch of these individual strands. Some of us have one strand left. Some of us are feeling like we're barely hanging on to heaven. There's barely a connection, and all I can barely hear is, you love me, right? You love me. And then there's some others. You've got three or four strands, and you can hear... I love you. You love me. You feel more connected. You feel like I, I get a little bit for my life, okay? What I see is these strands, the broken strands growing from your heart up towards heaven. And at the same time, coming from heaven, these strands coming down to meet it, this organic growth in this atmosphere right now. Connection between the Father and your heart is healing, it's beginning to connect. New possibilities are opening up. New ways to hear in segments of your life where you haven't heard God. You've said, your promise is healing, but I've never seen it. Your promise is prophecy, but I've never had a word. The strands are coming together. So let your heart lean into Jesus. Let your heart worship Him. Let your heart reach and cry out for Him because heaven's reaching for you. The Father's reaching for you right now. And so we prophesy connections. We prophesy repairs to the severed cords. We prophesy they're coming together. The connection is increasing. The signal is increasing between heaven and earth. I just want to read something to you. In Jeremiah it says this, And you shall seek me and find me. When you shall search for me, with all of your heart. We all know that scripture. I feel like God is teaching us right now how to disconnect from the things of the world and how to connect with Him. And right now, that battle is taking place within some of our hearts. It's finding that way to disconnect from that stuff that wants to overtake. But we know what the Word says, that when we seek Him, with all of our heart, when all of those cords, with all of those strands like Cam is talking about, come together, it creates a power that we've never seen before because we're functioning at the capacity we were always meant to. So let's take these next two minutes and whatever it is, let's try to disconnect from those things that keep coming at us and gnawing at us. Let's fully connect with Him. Can we do that? Let's take two more minutes. Let's do this. Can we say amen? amen? Nathan, where are you? Is Nathan still in the room? Yeah, there you are. Come on up, Nathan. Nathan's going to come and share a testimony before Jim preaches the word. Thank you, Lord. I just want to start off saying that in the Song of Songs, it says, 
he brought me to his banqueting house and his banner over me was love. And so it's a bridegroom over a bride. And this is the glory of God. That the uncreated, all-powerful, almighty, glorious God holds the heavens, does whatever he wants, desires humanity like a bridegroom desires a bride. It's the most profound thing you could ever imagine, the union between God and man in that kind of a reality. Um, so Jesus, we bless you. Oh, we bless you. You are good. You are beyond comprehension. Your love is better than wine. And we say that our love to you is better than wine. Our pleasure that we give you is better than any pleasure you could find. And so we give you this pleasure. We give you ourselves. We turn our face. We open up to you and say, delight yourself. Delight yourself at this table. Enjoy yourself here. We look at you with eyes of affection. You're beautiful. There's no one like you. You are fairer than the sons of men. So this is interesting because in 2006, God awakened me in a prayer room by telling me that he loved me like a bridegroom loves a bride. And I was awoke. And it's pretty lame what I wrote. I drew a heart and said, my heart's yours. I really had no grid for an encounter at all. And, and it marked me. Uh, the Song of Songs became... My thing, my re so much so that when Noah was born, in the first two days of his life, I read him the book of Song of Songs. Um, and it was just, I would say to anybody, if they'd ask me, it's the most important book, it's the most valuable thing, it's the hidden treasure in the scripture. And so I carried that till about I got married. Actually, the reason Grace fell in love with me is because I've preached one sermon in my life, and it was about the bridegroom and the bride. And she fell in love with me after not even noticing me. I had a beard, so I hid some stuff that she didn't know about. Um, which God does to us. He hides aspects of his beauty that we can't deal with. And then he unveils them slowly but surely. Um, so anyway, so that happened. But in seven years, I completely lost the book of Song of Songs. My heart didn't move. I didn't read it. I probably haven't read it for three years. And it was just dull. And I'd read it and just feel guilty. You feel like, oh man, I lost it and whatever. And it was kind of brutal. And, uh, and our marriage was sort of the same way. It wasn't that our marriage was that brutal. It was that there was things inside of our marriage that we couldn't get past. Our, it, was just, it, was, it wasn't horrible. Like there was no point that I would say it was horrible. And I didn't enjoy being married. But there was something wrong and I didn't know how to fix it. And Grace didn't know how to fix it. And it was just that way. And uh, so we went into the fast that way. And it wasn't like we were arguing. Like we don't really argue. And it wasn't that sort of thing. It was just, it was just not what I thought it would be. And I thought the Song of Songs would break forth and become this glorious thing when I got married. And it covered up and disappeared. And I'd read it and it'd be brutal. Just like, ugh, I don't know what this means. And I don't hardly care what it means. And uh, through the fast, all of a sudden, God started stirring me again in the song of songs my i'd read it and my heart would move just a little bit like it was just like oh i feel and it wasn't like i felt like the first but it's like oh it's alive this is alive this is and i was i was happy and that was going on and then the last week of the fast something broke in our marriage um we know what had happened and stuff like that and there was things that were confessed and 
But God broke things that we could not break. There were insecurities and weaknesses that were unbreakable to, uh, to me in, the, in, in what I knew. And the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit moved. And, and I'm not that good at following. So it just it fell in place. And our hearts moved and opened up. And we feel the way we felt at first towards one another. It's, it's the weirdest thing. I, it's, so, it's so strange. Um, Grace looks at me like she looked at me at first. But it's so much, it's, it's a reality that I can't, I seriously can't describe. And at the same time, it's like God broke open the Song of Songs and is, and is opening it again. So to me, that I can't imagine anything any better than that. So Jesus, we bless you that you are good. You are faithful. You are the steadfast bridegroom. You are looking with zeal. You will awaken the first love. You will awaken it in the body of Christ. You will stir us again like we were stirred at first. You will release it again in Canada. There will be a bride who's spotless, a chaste virgin who longs for you and no one else because you are faithful and you are dazzling. In Jesus' name, amen. I just feel uh, God just touched marriages right now in the name of Jesus, in this church, in this community, those watching online right now, we just pray that you would touch those marriages in Jesus' name. And there is a connection here, the connection of loving the word of God and allowing it to penetrate deep into our hearts. And as again, we draw close to God, he heals our marriages. He touches our marriages. And so Father, May we love your words. May we chase after your words and never let it get away from us, God. Never in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nathan, for sharing. Paul, where are you? There you are. Come on up. All right. God, I thank you for this man, and I just pray you would continue to speak because he's just getting started. This morning was good. And I uh, feel like, just get ready. Get ready. Well, Lord, we ask that you would add your blessing to the reading and speaking of your word this morning. In Jesus' name. In the last little while, the last few years, uh, year and a half, really, that I'm thinking about it, Pastor Mark has has mentioned a number of times when Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And he usually concentrates on the third temptation that occurred where, where Satan basically says to Jesus, you know, if you'll bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. I'll, I'll, I'll make them all, you know, subservient to you if you would worship me. And, and so, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit, but, you know, Pastor Mark has, has used that repeatedly. But, you know, it sparked something in me to really look at that whole situation. What, what happened there, and what can we learn from that, that whole situation where Jesus was taken to the wilderness by God? Why don't we just read it? So Matthew 4, starting at verse 1, says here, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. So there was a purpose in him going out there. It was explicitly to be tempted by the devil. That's interesting. 
So for 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. Not surprising. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his... Ooh, now he's quoting scripture at him. Who's quoting scripture? Satan is quoting scripture. Interesting. He will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. I found it really incredible to realize that Jesus was led to the wilderness to be tempted. And Gilling can tell you that for years, one of my sort of go-to passages has always been that God tempts no one with evil. Um, that's because when, when you're married to an intercessor <laughs> and, and they're carrying a burden for something, sometimes that burden they're carrying might start coming out in their behavior. <laughs> and then their teacher husband says to them, uh-uh. If it's, if it's bringing you to evil, it's not from God. <laughs> so, so just so you know, I've, I've, I've wrapped myself in this scripture as a protection for many years. And um, God tempts no one with evil. But let me tell you, that's true. So what's all this about? Well, God didn't tempt Jesus with evil. God led him out into the wilderness where Satan tempted him with evil. You think, well, what? So let me, let me just prove that other point here for a minute. In James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And then on to verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So the first thing to note here is that testing and temptation are pulled together. And testing, we always think of testing from an odd perspective when you compare it to Scripture. So I want to I kind of change our mindsets maybe a little bit here. So when you are in school and you have a test, that test is so who can figure out what you know? The teacher, right? 
So does God test us because he wants to figure out what we're going to do? Not hardly. God already knows what we're going to do. God knows the deepest things in your heart all the time. It's actually wonderful. A little scary when you think about it and you really kind of process it. But he already knows. He knows what you think. He knows what you feel. He knows who you are. And he loves you, by the way. Anyway. But what's that testing for then? What's the point? Ah, that testing is actually for your good. That testing produces endurance in you. That testing allows you to exercise your faith, and exercising your faith causes it to grow. You actually have to push against resistance. Anybody here who does anything physically, you know that when you push against resistance, you build muscle. Just simply kind of moving my arms around like this isn't going to cause a lot, of, a, a lot of growth and a lot of strength to get built. But if I'm holding some weight and I continue to do these curls, then I will actually produce more muscle, more strength. And our faith is the same. It's actually by standing against the testing that we actually produce the endurance we need to be able to do even more and to build our faith to accomplish even more. But when does temptation actually become sin? This is a really interesting question because we know that Jesus never sinned, but we know that he was tempted. So if he was tempted, that can't be sin. By the way, and it's not. A temptation is in and of itself not sin. A temptation can come from Satan even. It can come from our own desires as well. It can come many different ways. But the temptation itself isn't sin. So when does a temptation become sin? I'm going to suggest to you as soon as you entertain it. As soon as you give your agreement to it. As soon as you start to play with it in your mind. Now it has taken hold. And now already you're, you're moving into that, into that sin thing. Which Jesus did not do here. He did not even entertain it this is a neat thing it doesn't say jesus stopped and considered satan's words he thought through how would that work right no he detected it right away and we're going to figure something out here pretty quick on why but i I do want to tell you this about temptation in general okay scripture also tells us that we will not be tempted more than we can withstand because God gives us grace to withstand temptation. So I'm going to do my standard little teaching on grace. Many of you who have been around for years know this one, but I'm going to do it again because it's so key and it's foundational to to who I am uh, and to my faith. And that is God's grace is not his mercy. Do you understand that? Mercy... We often think of mercy and grace as being like, you know, paired synonyms, whatever. They're not. Mercy is that he doesn't give us the punishment that we deserve. That's his mercy, and it's wonderful. We can be very, very thankful for his mercy. But his grace is active. Let's look at Philippians 2.13. It says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. Desire and power. Those are the words that come into grace. Okay? His desire 
and his power. Now, you got you to realize how key this is. Because if the desire comes from him, then it's good. And if when he gives you that desire, he also gives you the power right then and there to fulfill it, then you're going to do it. If you've got the desire to do something and the ability to do it, aren't you going to do it? This is why it says we're saved by faith through grace, lest anyone should boast. It, it means don't brag about your, your salvation that way. You didn't do anything. He gave you the desire to come to him. He gave you the ability to come to him, so you did. Well, yeah. What else are you going to do if you want something and you can? It's going to happen. And so, you know, it's not on you. It's on him. But that's his grace, and he gives us the grace to resist every temptation. So when we don't, that's on us. Okay? That's on us. Now, the cool part is he also forgives us and takes us through testing again and again and again to build our ability to withstand these things, which is very, very cool. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10 it says, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, and this is Paul writing, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away, and each time he said, my grace is all you need, and my power works best in weakness. Now, this is really cool because, you know, in my Bible, those words are written in red ink. So here we are way off in Paul's epistles. You know, he's writing a letter to the Corinthians and we got red ink showing up there, meaning these are directly the words of Christ. Jesus spoke to Paul, said these things. And Paul says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. And that's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. So there is grace. To overcome, absolutely. So let's go back to that first temptation that Jesus went through in the wilderness. Verse 3 there in Matthew 4 said, During that time the devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, so there's the first one. And Gillian reminded me of this in between. She said, you know, you notice he says, If you are the Son of God. He's, 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 he's digging already. He's just, he's just kind of trying to get something in there, trying to, Trying to make you, I am so, right? If you, Jesus didn't rise to it at all. He was so comfortable. You know, it, it, it'd be like somebody coming to Curtis and saying, if you're Jim's son, Curtis doesn't have to go, well, I, I think I am. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, sh I'm, I'm pretty sure. Like, there's just nothing there for that. It's like, if I'm Jim, that's just goofy. Right? So he's trying to dig. But anyway, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Which, by the way, is a quote from Deuteronomy 8. So Satan's busy quoting scripture at Jesus. Jesus is busy quoting scripture back. <laughs> so this temptation, this is an interesting temptation. What's, what's going on here? So Jesus has spent 40 days and 40 nights not eating. Some of you have just done this for three weeks, and you know that's hungry time. He's just done it for 40 days and 40 nights. He is hungry. And Satan says to him, you could 
take these stones and turn them to bread. Really interesting. You notice Jesus doesn't say, really? I could do that? Actually, he knows he could do that. It's not a problem at all. He's well aware that, that, that that's something he can do. He doesn't need Satan to tell him what he can do. The thing is, while he's hungry and he needs something to eat, whose voice is it telling him to turn those stones to bread? Whose voice is that? That's not God's voice. That's Satan's voice. And so Jesus is saying, hello, bread's one thing, but I only do what I hear the Father saying. That's it. I don't do the thing that's needed just because it's a need. I am not trying to be relevant. I'm not trying to do something that meets a need or that, that is relevant. This is, this is the temptation to relevance, I think. And when we look at it, even as a church, you know, are we trying to do stuff to be relevant? I'm going to tell you right now, we might do stuff that is relevant, but not because it's relevant, only because it's the word of God. And this is what Jesus said is, hey, 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 I don't live off bread by itself, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So if God's not saying turn the stones into bread, I'm not turning the stones into bread, even though I haven't eaten for 40 days. We don't do stuff just because there's a need. We meet needs when God tells us to meet needs. Okay? So when God says do a community kitchen and serve your community, you do it. But you don't do it because there's COVID. COVID gives the opportunity. You do it because God says do it. Does that make sense? Now, is there a problem with the food aspect of this whole thing? Well, we see other places where Jesus does meet a need with food. How about feeding 5,000 people? How about feeding 4,000 people? Right? Jesus is not against meeting needs with food. The difference is, who told him to do it? So when God has moved on him to say, let's feed these 5,000, absolutely, that's what we're doing. And in fact, it said Jesus was moved with compassion. But I'm telling you, it wasn't the compassion that made him do it. It was because he heard the Father saying it. It was the voice of God that drove his actions. You know, the another question would have been, you know, was it a problem because it would have been for himself? The 5,000 was for them. The 4,000 was for them. Was it a problem, you know, I can't turn these stones into bread because that would be self-serving? Absolutely not. Jesus knew to take care of himself. When he got tired, he rested. When he needed some quiet time alone with God, he actually skittered off and left the, the crowds behind and found quiet time. In fact, we see the one where he's in the boat fast asleep while all the disciples are working, you know, and freaking out. Um, and, and the fact is, Jesus had spent that day teaching, preaching, healing the sick. He was tired. And I'll tell you what, he knew full well, if you don't take care of yourself, you'll have nothing left to give anybody else. Okay? So you have to take care of yourself. Absolutely. There was no problem. This was not about not meeting his own needs. It was purely that one thing. And that is, but that's not what the Father's saying. That's it. The whole motivation. That's what the Father's saying. Then we do it. That's not what the Father's saying. Then we don't do it. It's that simple. And so the temptation for relevance is actually one that we need to always be on the watch out for and say, no, but what's God saying? 
Yes, I know there's a need. What's God saying? And I know there's a wife. What's she saying? I just wanted to take it a step further. Um, the If you are the son of God part, um, because Satan was taunting him to prove himself. And how many times do we want to prove that we're relevant? <laughs> um, but really, all that Jesus needed to know was, I am the son of God, and I listen to him. And all we need to know is, I am the son, I am the daughter of God. That's our relevance. That's what makes us significant. And so um, I guess I'm just trying to, you know, let us not fall under the temptation of needing to prove ourselves by what we do. It's who we are in him. And, and, and this is, to me, and, and by the way, I won't spend nearly as much time on the other two. Because this is the one that, that really uh, has sort of captured um, my heart at this time in recognizing some of what is difficult in this culture today, a culture that has moved way off of the plumb line of, the, of, of God's word. And yet we, we want to reach our culture. And there's such a temptation to try and water certain things down or whatever in order to, to, to seem more welcoming and be more relevant. And we cannot go there. We must actually stand firm going, you know, maybe you think, you, you're, you know, here's the big one. So somebody calls us unloving because we take a scriptural stand on something. And it cuts us to the quick because but I want to I be demonstrating God's love. So the number one accusation that actually works is to call me unloving because now I got I to gotta fix something. I got to, what? I got to appear loving to you by your standards. Ooh, not good, not good. Really, we need to be absolutely, as Galen said, we have to be absolutely firm in the, you know what, I'm a child of God and I am learning to demonstrate the love of God. And that's it. I'm, I'm going to demonstrate the love of God as he teaches me to do so. I don't have to try to be relevant in some other way. Um, in fact, John 5, 19. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. The Father loves the Son and shows him everything he's doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. This was in that situation. And then you will be truly astonished. So, this is, this is pretty critical. There's a, there's a couple of things we don't want to do then. We don't want to be driven by somebody else saying, prove yourself. Right? We don't want to be driven because there's a need. And we certainly don't want to be driven because we had a great idea. By the way, do you know what it's called when you have a great idea? There's a biblical word that we've kind of lost in, in English, okay? You see it in the King James and whatever. It's the word iniquity. The word iniquity, properly translated today, if you go back to the word that was translated iniquity, you would see it as self-will, okay? So iniquity is just another word for self-will. Anything that we decide to do, good or bad, whatever, if it's coming from us, that's iniquity, which is why the Bible often talks about your sin and iniquity, right? It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't, 
your sin and sin. Like iniquity is just not another word for sin. It's not your sin and your sin. It's your sin and your self-will. Anything you did that the Father wasn't doing. Anything you did that the Father wasn't see, saying. Right? So that's an, an, an interesting uh, uh, point there. Um, so this makes it absolutely critical that we know how to hear from the Father. Doesn't it? Like if we're not supposed to do anything he's not doing, then we've got to see him. If we're not supposed to say anything he's not saying, then we've got to hear him. And so it is absolutely critical that we learn to hear from the Father. This morning, the earlier this morning when the, in the first service, when he said that, it's like, oh, but my, my sheep hear my voice. Not everybody knows that they can hear the Father. But he says, my sheep hear my voice. So I just want to, you know, even put it out there. If you are his child, which you are, you can hear his voice because he confirmed it. Those that follow me hear my voice. All right. So let's move on to that second temptation. So here we go. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, oh, there he goes again. If you're the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. And that's a quote from Deuteronomy 6, 14, which says you must not worship any of the gods of neighboring nations for the Lord your God who lives among you is a jealous God. His anger will flare up against you and he will wipe you from the face of the earth. You must not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained at Massah. Now, this is an interesting deal because that kind of testing, you realize that testing God in this respect is two things. One, it's, you know, will you do what you said? But number two, it's testing his patience. Right? It's that, it's that well, you're not doing what you said, and so we're, you know, we're going to die out here. And so God actually produced for them, but, but uh, there was consequence. Um, I call this one really... This would be the temptation to be spectacular, right? Do something spectacular. Jump off the tower and the angels will carry you down and everybody will be so impressed. And they will say, look at you, look at you. You must be something really special. Do something spectacular. Man, I'll tell you, that's a temptation for a church too. You know, let's have, let's have something spectacular going on. Now, let me tell you something. Once again, it's all about the heart, though, behind it. If God says do all these things and people happen to find it spectacular, whatever. But if we go and try to figure out spectacular, because people will be impressed and they will come and they will get saved and it will be wonderful. You know what? Some people might come and some people might get saved because God uses everything. <laughs> But there won't be a lot of power in that spectacle, okay? And so Jesus, Jesus didn't want to get there. And I'll tell you what, whenever we have that sort of, well, look at me, look at me, isn't this spectacular kind of thing, there's something that we need to do to break that in our own lives, okay? And, and I believe that the true antidote to falling for pursuing the spectacular is repentance, it's an interesting thing. When we ask God to show us what's really in our hearts, suddenly we don't feel so spectacular anymore. Suddenly we begin to realize where we really are. And by the way, 
I, I, I read something a little while ago on a website, and this is why I brought it up this morning as well, but it was this. This person was saying, uh, they were actually talking about the Watchmen uh, for the Nations Ministries, and they said, you know, these people, they go, and then they start groveling and begging for forgiveness until maybe finally God might be willing to hear their prayers. And I thought, wow, you don't get it. This is not about God forgiving us. God's forgiveness is in place. That's all good. This is about us understanding the state of where we are and being sorry for it. This is about building something in us. This is about us beginning to understand who we really are and where we are so that we're not busy trying to look great on the outside. Uh, I, you know, I, I love that you know, statement, you, know, you look like a million bucks, right? Well, if, if God's in the, you know, if God's idea of spectacular or of righteousness is in the billions, you know what the difference between a million and a billion is? It's about a billion. Yeah, pretty much. The difference between a million and a billion is about a billion. If you, if you actually run the numbers, you'll see that, yeah, actually, it's identical the difference between one penny and ten dollars. So what's the difference between a penny and ten dollars? Well, about ten bucks, Right? Your million is meaningless in that respect. Our righteousness, our look what good thing we did, when compared to the majesty and power and honor due God, really? <laughs> really? It's nada. And that's cool because when we can do that, it actually puts things right. Like this is not about making us feel worthless. Far from it. He treasures us. He treasures us now if that's not important right so this is not about that but it is about saying the spectacular actually isn't anyway i mean throw yourself off this tower or speak a word and unmake the tower you know i mean what's more spectacular speak a word and create the universe that might be spectacular jumping off a tower eh, not so much right so, the third one. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. I'll give it all to you, he said, if you'll kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So that's a, another Deuteronomy quote, Deuteronomy 6. This is the temptation to be powerful, you know, and to be worshipped, really. But here's the thing. It's a fake power. Jesus is ruling and reigning with his father, and we already know every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. All the kingdoms of the world are under him. Satan was offering him a shortcut. But a shortcut often isn't real. In fact, most of the time, the shortcut's not real. In fact, most of the time, if the shortcut was so good, that would be the main route. Um, we say this in my business all the time, okay? So I, I, I have a software company, and we build software. And, and the reality is that building software is a very dicey business. Most projects, most software projects actually fail. More than half of them never accomplish what they set out to accomplish. There's a, there's a lot of creativity involved. There's a lot of complexity involved. Software is a tough business. 
So over the years with our company, we have developed a set of steps that we follow pretty carefully that basically give us a far better predictable outcome, okay? And in fact, we've had actually no software failures over the years. So we, we actually accomplish these goals. Sometimes they go over budget, that's fair. But you know, in essence, we've never had a project canceled and failed. So that predictable set of steps, sometimes we're tempted, by the way, we call that a methodology, okay? So that predictable set of things, or that, thing, that set of things that gives us a predictable outcome, that methodology, sometimes we feel like, do I have to do all those things? Do I have to really ask all those questions? Do I have to document the responses and then get them reviewed so that we can blah, 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 blah? Can't we just shortcut that process? Here's the deal. It doesn't work. If we shortcut the process, I guarantee you it's going to take longer. The methodology is the shortcut. It just is. If there were a shortcut, that would become the methodology. Of course. We don't want to do things that take longer. But we've proven over the years that if you skip these steps, you're going to get it on the back end. You're going to, oh, now you got bugs in production and you're cleaning up bad data and you're all cost, 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 cost. Okay? Because you skipped something on the earlier phases. Well, this is an interesting piece because Jesus was in this position where Satan is basically saying, here's a shortcut. And Jesus is, in effect, recognizing, first of all, I'm not listening to you anyway, Satan. But secondly, that's not a shortcut. That's a completely different outcome altogether. And it's a failure because instead of bringing this entire group to my father, I'd be bringing them to you. And this is something we really need to understand, people. Satan is not God's enemy. He's not the opposite of God. Satan is your enemy. He is a created being that God could unmake with a word. Satan doesn't scare God one bit. Okay? Satan is actually allowed to approach the throne of God and accuse you, etc. God's not scared of Satan. He's your enemy. And so, fair enough, we need to take our stand. But Satan was basically trying to get Jesus to be under him, a created being that doesn't hold a candle to the glory of God, in order to shortcut this thing. And Jesus says, uh, no, out. Like, get out. In fact, I think... That's the one where he says, get thee behind me in, in the King James English. He's basically a, 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 essentially saying, you've got to be kidding. Like, this isn't even sort of a little bit attractive, shortcutting this thing. Because it's all fake. The whole promise was a lie. The kingdoms of the world will all serve you. They're going to anyway. Properly. So, how do we break that temptation, the one to shortcut. And, and, and honestly, this comes into the spectacular as well. These two things together. I think if we worship God at a level where his majesty just becomes more and more clear to us. Like, think about this. God, the one who made the universe, 
with a word. Just, just think about that for a minute. He actually understands, he created the concept of atoms and subatomic particles. And he, he, he infused them with the strong and weak nuclear forces and, and caused them to hold together with all these little spinny things. And then he created all of the inter, you know, gravitational pulls on all of these things. And he created all, and then he created life. And, you know, I remember Bob Jones telling us that when he was, when he was, uh, taken to heaven at, at a point where he had died on in, in, a, in a hospital for a period of, of, of a few minutes. He was taken up to heaven, and uh, we, he was up talking to a kids in kids' church, and, and one of the kids asked him, so what did you see? What did you do while you were there? And he says, you know, most of the time I spent, I was laying on my belly looking at a flower because I could see how it worked. Now think about that. I could see how it worked. The, the intense amount of factories going on inside that plant. That, and God created that with a thought, with a word. And he holds all of it in his mind t- today. All of it. You know, we get these stupid, stupid movies and TV shows where somebody gets to be God for a day. Understand something. If you were God for a fraction of a second, the universe would cease to exist. Because he's the one holding it all together. Every atom. It's amazing. And then think about how big it is. It's just lavish. It just goes on and on. Billions of stars, billions of planets. Because it didn't matter. It, it, it's not wasteful because it just doesn't matter. It, it's all done so we can have pretty little lights in the skies and, 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 and have science. Something to keep us interested. And it just goes on and on and on, and it just isn't a big deal to him because it's just, a, it's just there because it was fun. Wow. What about his love? What about his love? Like while, while we're, don't even... Half of us, you know, didn't even believe that he existed and he loves. Ones who do believe he existed and are mad at him and he loves. Ones who are caught up in, in horrific things, hurting each other and themselves and whatever, and he loves. And he loves. To the point where Jesus came and laid down his life so that you could have life while we were yet sinners. Like he didn't lay down his life for the good people. There aren't any. He, he, yeah. <laughs> I always like the line. I, I can't remember whose line it was about, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And his answer is, okay, wait. That only ever happened once and he volunteered. <laughs> okay. So anyway, um, you know, his love, so intense. His power, come on. You know, a God who can hold the whole universe together and can know each one of us. Do you know that he's never too busy for you? Like, we, we do this odd thing. Well, I don't want to bother God with the little stuff. What? He, he's not you. He's not just a big form of you. My attention's attracted by too many other important things right now. Don't ask me what color socks you should wear this morning. Ask him. That's fine. He's got all the time for you. Because he 
He knows every atom in your body and is paying attention to it. He can pay attention to what you're asking and thinking. Absolutely he can. All at the same time. He's not one of us just bigger. It's so huge. He's so powerful. He's so loving. When you put all that there, I'm not going to try to compete with that. <laughs> like it's just, it, it's, it's now ridiculous in, in the very thought of trying to compete with that. You know, I want to be famous. I want to be loved. Oh, come on. How does that even compare? So when we get a picture of him, we would actually consider it ridiculous to want to be worshipped, wouldn't we? Like it, that, that's goofy. You know, that's like, uh, you know, uh, I had mentioned this morning, you know, if somebody is a, a, a beginner musician, but somebody else has never heard music before, and they come in and this person, you know, plays a few little notes on the piano and they go, oh, that's amazing. You know, if that person goes, yeah, I'm quite something. That's just, that's just goofy. Ding, 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 ding. You know, but if they say, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. You should listen to this. <laughs> and they, you know, have them listen to something that's really an incredible piece of music or something. You know, you, you start to realize, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, there's, a, there's, there's whole levels to this thing. So, I just feel like we want to we recognize, Lord, from what you stood against from what you dealt with so easily, even in your weakest time, 40 days and 40 nights without food. But it was so clear you knew who you were. Lord, give us a revelation, each of us, of who we are in you. Lord, let us not be tempted by relevance, by the spectacular, to be powerful or famous. Father, I ask that we would have such a picture of you that that's really all that matters. Let us hear your voice. Give us the grace to walk out what you're calling us to do every day. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Jim. Uh, it just makes me think, you know, I've been in a boat without an engine, and I've been in a boat with one. One works a lot better. They both look the same right? But the one just looks pretty, right? The other one can get you where you need to go. And so that's what we're trying to do, right? Is listen, discern the voice of the Lord and honor what he wants and make sure it's him who's guiding our every, every step. Amen? Well, let's stand to our feet. So Father, thank you so much for today. Uh, thank you that you love us so much. We love you, Lord. You are just so amazing. And we just ask that you would be with each person here. I don't know where everybody's at, but for those that have a need, I pray that you would touch them, move in their lives, God. Heal them if they need healing. Bring finances where they need finances, God. Just touch each person in this room, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. And God, touch this community in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Be blessed as you go. Have a wonderful week. See you Wednesday.